This morning, we're going to go uh, in, into our second step into Worship Unmasked, where we're talking about uh, really what worship is all about, really what is important about worship. A lot of times, worship can be whatever we make it. Worship can be uh, whatever is according to our tradition. Let me take a lighthouse poll this morning. How many of you came from maybe a Catholic background? You Go ahead, raise your hand. A lot of Catholic backgrounds in here. How many of you came from a Baptist background? Baptist, Methodist? Episcopal, I would get there, Episcopal, Lutheran background, sex, drugs, and rock and roll background. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Some of y'all, you didn't know which hand to raise, right? You're like, did he really just say that? As soon as I said sex, I had your attention. I knew I, 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 knew I had you. So um, the, the reality is, you know, uh, if I were to say, now here, here's one I didn't, I didn't toss out there. How many of you came from, you're like dyed in the wool, Assemblies of God, and you grew up Assemblies of God, and mom and dad were Assemblies of God, and that's you, Assemblies of God? That's a handful. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. How many of you, Church of God? You came from Church, church of my God. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, and there are probably others, you know, but what I find over the years as I've, I've taken that poll, uh, unofficial, not very scientific poll on a Sunday morning from time to time, I, I would often find that uh, we had fewer and fewer people that like started in one church and stayed in that all the way through. You know, God's got us on a journey, doesn't he? And, and so uh, there were folks that, you know, were Catholic and then they experienced a Catholic charismatic movement. They got filled with the Holy Spirit and maybe they got, you know, the left foot of fellowship out of where they were at, and uh, so whatever the case may be. And uh, so all of those, all of those would have their own worship style. Are you, are you tracking with me? A style. They would have certain things that, okay, that is worship. So if you were Catholic, it was always the priest, it was always the host, right? You had the cup, you had the host, put the host on your tongue, drink from the cup. That was always part of Catholic worship. It would be the kneel, it'd be stand up. There'd be things that you would do. Um, if you were, if you were a, from a church that came through the Reformation, you know, a Protestant church, it would always be uh, the solas, it would always be the word of God. Um, you would have if you were a, uh, maybe Lutheran or Episcopal um, or Presbyterian, there's always a, re a reading from the Book of Common Prayer, right? Anybody familiar with that book? It's a great book, by the way. Um, always, a, always a recitation, a reciting of the Lord's Prayer. That would be part of what would happen. And so these were all part of worship. And so we'd say, well, you can't have worship without the Lord's Prayer. Can't, can't, just can't. You know, because depending on your tradition, that was like germane. That was like knitted into it. Um, think about it like this, though. Um, every one of the worship styles came from actually some kind of revelation or some kind of understanding that they held fast to. If you were to go, if I could take you back in, back in time all the way to Adam, what would Adam's worship experience? Same God, but what have, would Adam's experience been like? Adam walked with God in the what? In the cool of the day. He walked with God in the garden. They'd probably talk about all the stuff Adam was doing, all the things he was naming. He was out there talking about the animals. He was talking, you know, I don't know, maybe Adam was like the original Dr. Doolittle. Maybe he could talk to the animals. We don't know. I mean, he had dominion, right? So, I mean, you know, so, so maybe he, he could swim like a fish. Maybe he could fly like a bird. I, I don't know. You say, well, that's not possible, Pastor Ken. What are you going to do in the rapture? You're going to fly. Come on, somebody. No waiting at TSA either. Um, 
and so you and I, um, we, you know, Adam, Adam had his worship style. If you talk to Abraham, Abraham, what's your worship style? What do you do? What do you do for church? Well, I heard a voice, and the voice said, leave Ur of the Chaldees, and wherever I go, I build an, an altar. So Abraham was an altar builder. Abraham dug wells because he lived in tents. Probably if you built an altar and lived in tents, you needed the water from the wells for the sheep, but you needed the, you needed the altars to remember the best places to go back to. You needed those stone altars because, like, you're just out there. You're just out there in the desert. You're wandering around. And so you go back to, hey, this is a good place to camp. This is where I met with the Lord. And so he had his altars. Moses was different. Moses, we talked about last week. Moses had the, had the tent of meeting, remember. He would go up to the tent. He would meet with God. His face would glow in the dark and in the light. And, uh, and then he put a mask on. He put a veil on and he'd come down and so the people couldn't tell whether it was, a, you know, whether the battery was fully charged or 20%. They couldn't tell anymore because he put, a, he put a veil on. So we talked about unmasking worship because the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we all, with unveiled, unmasked faces... Yeah experience the Lord's glory, and that while we experience the Lord's glory, we're changed into his, what, likeness. So worship really has to do with whatever kind of an experience that brings you face-to-face with God. Worship is a transformative experience. It's not just something you do and go through. You, you are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. You are a spiritual being. Now I'm going to push on that thought a little bit a little bit further down the line today as we go into the word because the spiritual came first. The spiritual has is is a primary uh, concern. If you're if you don't have if you're not right with the the God of all spirits, you won't have peace in your heart at all. And if you don't have peace in your heart at all, the way, you, uh, the way you do life is going to be very haphazard. It's going to be, you're going you're gonna to chase the wrong things, you're going to do the wrong things, all trying to find that peace that you can't find except that you have peace with the living God. Jesus said, worship is about spirit and truth. Are you with me? So uh, we're going to get into our text in just a minute. I hope that you'll uh, have in your notes there, you can read it along in just a second. But I want to give you the backstory. There's a lot of text. And uh, so the backstory is, is found in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul has taken the gospel out and uh, he is an, an apostle. He is a sent one. Uh, when God said in Acts chapter 13, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to do. And so the Holy Spirit sent them out and the church agreed yes these guys are to be sent out so they go out and they are carrying the gospel and at one point Paul wanted to go across the border into I think it was Bithynia and he gets there and the Holy Spirit says nah you're not going to go there and he has a vision that night and he has a vision of a man from Macedonia. I don't know if he understood that they were closed. I don't know if the guy in the vision said, hey, I'm Macedonian. Why don't you come over and help us? Um, whatever happened from that vision, the apostle Paul said, okay, the Lord wants us to go to Macedonia. And so he goes in to Philippi. This city is a, is a major strategic place. Uh, when you're taking the gospel, and, and this is uh, the message that all the world needs to hear, you want to go to not the most rural place, but the most populated place. 
You want to go to the crossroads of humanity and you want to share the message because as people are crossing through, they're going to hear the word, then they're going to continue on their journey and they're going to take the message with them. Got a really cool story about a number of years ago, uh, uh, our, our the son, a son of this house in Africa, I'll put it that way, 2003, uh, when I first met Eldad. And Eldad ended up in Malaysia, and he wanted to, he was called to preach at a conference in Malaysia. So he goes to Malaysia, and he gets to the, he gets into the airport, and they won't let him leave the airport. Because he had said somewhere in there in his paperwork that he was a bishop, and that made them nervous in that, you know, in that country that's run by Muslims. And so they detained him. And they detained him in a, a detainment section of the airport where there were 120 other, uh, you know, expatriates from around the world that they were detaining for like five days, six days. Took his phone, took his computer, took everything, and he's stuck right there with 120 people. Some of those people didn't have any food. Some of them didn't have any money. And so Eldad decided that he was going to uh, share the love. He had a little bit of money, and so he bought some bread, and he bought some water, and, and he kept moving with these. And, and you know what? God gave him the opportunity to preach the gospel to 120 people in detention in the airport. And then he got back on the plane, came back to Uganda and called me up and said, Pastor Ken, it was terrible. I was stuck there for all of these days and I couldn't communicate with the people at the conference. I couldn't communicate with my wife. And I said, well, what'd you do? And he tells me the whole story. I said, Eldad, do you realize that you just preached to Iranians, to Iraqis? Do you just realize that you just preached to all of these different nations? He was telling me all the people that got born again. I said, man, you had your own upper, upper room experience. You had your own 120 right there you just sent them back into the nations God's got a strategic plan yes, he does. so Paul and Silas end up and they're in Philippi and uh, and here's what happens uh, as they walk in to begin to preach this slave girl who's a fortune teller starts to follow them and as they're walking along sharing Jesus with people this girl's coming along behind them and saying these men are servants of the most high God and they're telling you about Jesus they're telling you how you can come to Christ and they it says Paul put up with it for several days I'd be like 30 seconds right I'm done with this. Maybe he thought, no, you know, even bad advertisement is good advertisement. I don't know. Bad publicity is good publicity. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. But finally, he just gets his gut full of it. And he turns around and he rebukes the spirit. Well, what you need to know is that she was a slave girl and her owners made a lot of money off of her. Think about the profit margin. All I got to do is feed her. All I got to do is put a roof over her head. She makes us a lot of money. She goes around and takes people's money. Let me tell you your fortune. Let me tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Let me tell you who, who you're going to marry, who you're going to love, who, when you're going to die, whatever it is. I don't know what she's saying to them, but the money is pouring in. And then the spirit leaves her. Next person she walks up to, I got nothing. I got nothing. Jesus, I know Jesus. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so what happens then it, at that moment, if, if you've uh, been through an attack lambs course, this will make sense to you. If you haven't been through an attack lambs course and you've read Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual wickedness. And all of those, those four titles that I just gave all have a way of operating. And the, the particular uh, spiritual force that is mentioned there is the one cosmocratic. 
Christos is, is the Greek transliteration. And this is how they operate. They use people to get things. Drug dealers use people to get things. Prostitution uses people to get things. People are no longer people, they're a number. And so Cosmocratos was operating in this woman's life. And so as soon as Paul says, in the name of Jesus, you're out of here, the source of income, she can no longer be used by her. She's, she's no longer a slave. She might have still been a slave, but she wasn't a slave. You, do you, under, you understand what I'm saying? Positionally, she may have been, but now, because Cosmocratos has been dealt with, now the control that the owners had over her had left. And so in that moment, uh, you know, the, the, the slave owner said, man, what are we going to do? All our money's gone. Our source of making money is gone. We can't do anything. And, and so what they began to do is they stirred up lies about Paul and Silas to make them look bad in the minds of the people. A riot starts. Then, uh, then the magistrates come and they throw Paul and Silas in jail. They beat them and they throw them into prison, right? They beat them and they throw them into prison. Let's look at our text today. In the text, let's, let's go ahead and let's read it out loud together. Will you do that with me? Acts chapter 16, then we're going to read Psalm 32. It's just a short passage. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Psalm 32, 6 says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will, will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. You know, so here in this passage in your notes, new cities... And new continents were being invaded by God's kingdom uh, rule. Spiritual powers were being forced back in that moment. And the only recourse was to uh, imprison Paul and Silas. In order to gain new ground for the kingdom, conflict is going to happen. Touch your neighbor and say, conflict is going to happen. Another lighthouse poll. Let's just have fun for a minute. How many of you like to quarrel? No, it's, it's, it's vigorous, it's vigorous expression. It's not quarreling. It's not arguing. How many, you know, some people just look for a fight. You know what I'm talking about? They're just, you know, I had a, I had a guy admit to me the other day. He was talking to me. He said, man, I just kind of like the adrenaline rush. I really do. When I, when I, when I see that I can speak something and it's like, oh, you like that too much. You like that too much. <laughs> But, you know, but the reality is in our world that, that you and I are purveyors of the kingdom of God, that we carry the authority of Jesus with us wherever we go. If you have named the name of Jesus, then you are his. And if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are a witness. And what are you a witness of? That Jesus is alive and he is Lord. And that every stronghold has to bow the knee before him, not before you, but before him. So wherever you go, you carry the potential for a conflict. Yeah. Well, well. I had one brother say, you know what, wherever I go, stress is around me. But he said, I'm, I'm not stressed, I'm just a carrier. 
what, what is happening is that, you know, Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll what? They'll hate you. If you were of the world, they'd love you as their own, but you're not of this world. And so wherever you and I go, we are, uh, we are bearers of his image. We are bearers of his authority. We carry it with us wherever we go. And, and so it impacts the spiritual world, which then impacts, like dominoes, it impacts the physical world in which we live. And so when, when Paul and Silas walk up, they, they see a demon uh, binding this woman. They cast it out. This is what Jesus commanded us to do, right? You know, people are bound. They need to be free. Jesus said, this is the message. Go and preach uh, freedom for the prisoners. So he goes and casts it out. I'm just doing what the Lord told me to do. But he didn't realize that in the upline, Cosmocratos was operating. And so Cosmocratos now has no power. It's been, it's been put in its place. Cosmocratos gets put in his place, and so all they can do is use, you know, they, they, they use the deception and the lies of Paul and Silas thrown in prison. I want to remind you that the spiritual came first and not the physical. That before there was a physical world, there was a God who spoke and said, light be. So the light came after God spoke for the light to come. The, he, he spoke from himself. He spoke in God is spirit, right? And they that worship him must worship in what? Spirit and in truth. So the spiritual came first and not the natural. And, and so when, when we realize that, that, you know, our present circumstances are the outcome of whatever happened in the upline of the spiritually speaking. So, remember, you are a spiritual being having a human experience. Spiritual being having a human experience. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Even what I'm saying is a stronghold to some people. What, 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 what? No, it's, if, I, if I can't see it, if I can't feel it, if I can't touch it, if I can't taste it, it doesn't exist. That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold that prioritizes the physical above the spiritual. Right? And, and so the Word of God tells us that we've got to be those people uh, that, uh, that recognize that Jesus, that God is spirit. And so when, when you and I come to terms with that fact, then we recognize the, the truth of this axiom that is a Mark Geppert statement. All success in the spirit realm flows from an atmosphere of praise and worship. All success in the, do you want to be successful in the spirit realm? Absolutely. Why? Because it, it has a trickle-down effect on the earth realm. If, if you and I prioritize what it is that God says is, Jesus is alive and he's Lord, the I am that I am, when we prioritize the I am, then he causes all the other things to trickle down and work in our, 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 our favor, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All the other things will be added. So he's saying look after the spiritual and you'll watch what takes place in the natural begin to order itself. How many of you need a little order in your life? Prioritize worship. You want more order in your life? Prioritize worship in your home. 
Be a worshiper. Be a person that says, you know what, before I do anything else, I'm not, my knees are going to hit the floor. I'm going to put my face on the carpet. Some of us, that might be hard, but you get the principle. And, uh, and, and so you, you humble yourself, as, as the congressman said a minute ago from Peter, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And you watch what God and God alone can do. In your notes, in order to gain new ground for the kingdom, conflict will happen. Turf wars will erupt. Accept it and don't shrink back from it. Take hold of your assignment and put to use the weapon of worship. Number two, while the adversary attempts to silence the apostles in prison, Paul and Silas sing in the face of their enemy. Paul and Silas, you know, I love Psalm 23. It's a very calming thinking, you know, when we start, you know, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Let me tell you, when when I'm in the presence of the enemy, it's never quite that calm. He anoints my head with oil, the cup runs over, the grass is greener, the the water is still. How many of you just, you just want to go to that place? Why do you want to go to that place? Because it doesn't look like my place. (laughs) What does it mean that he, that he, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy? What does that mean? What does that look like? That means God says, I'm going to feed you even while the devil's watching. I'm going to give you what you need even though the devil is present. You're going to have everything that you need even in the face of evil. So what do you do? Worship God. What are you going to, hey, did anybody here bless your food? Yeah, so bless your food and worship in the face of the devil. I'm going to eat and you got nothing to say about it. Devil, my family is going to prosper and you've got no word to say about it. Why? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Amen? And so you just begin to proclaim who Jesus is and proclaim the promise of God right in that circumstance. I can't imagine, you know, what Paul and Silas were feeling at midnight, chained to a wall, in a Roman prison. Think about this for a minute. Rome is the strongest power. It's the strongest government that the world has seen up to that point. They've taken more territory, military might, uh, uh, all kinds of funding, all kinds of art, changing the culture radically. And here is Paul. They've, they've gone and they've found this, this cave and they began to carve down into the cave. And, and so it's deep, it's dark, there's rats, it's nasty. And they put them down in there and they make cubicles in there and they, they, uh, they bore into the, into the caves and they, and they put iron uh, rings and then they connect these iron rings to the chains and they connect the chains to the arms and the legs with shackles. And so here are these two guys Guys, having been beaten, nobody's nursed their wounds, nobody's looked after their wounds. That's right, bacteria setting in. That's right, it's painful. And they're on the wall, and Paul looks over at Silas and he says, Woe is me! No, he doesn't say that. He says, Hey, Silas, I feel a song coming on. I feel a song coming on. And, and I don't know what the hymns were that they were singing because, well, let me just tell you, great is thy faithfulness that hadn't been written yet. It is well with my soul in the depths of this hole. That hadn't been written yet. I don't, I don't know what they were singing, 
I don't know what the song was. All hail the power of Jesus' name. That hadn't been written yet, but they had some hymns. They had a song of the Lord. You know what they had? They had a song of deliverance. They had a song of deliverance. I don't know what that sounded like, but here's what happened. Sometimes, this is, this is Pastor Ken, this is gospel according to Pastor Ken, right? So, so God is leaning over the, the, the banister in heaven, and he's listening, and he's probably talking to his angel. Hey, guys, shh, I know we got, it's noisy in heaven because there's always worship. But he's like, down, 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 something coming up here, something coming up. He hears a sound, and so he leans his ear over there. He says, angels, I, I hear something. I hear something. And here's this, here's this song starting to come up from Paul and Silas. Maybe it was a, a mighty fortress is our God. He begins to worship the Lord from the pit at the darkest place in the most painful uh, experience that, that they have ever gone through at this point. God, they could have said it this way. God, we were just, we, we, we had a vision. I mean, we have, you gave us a vision to go in here. Why are we getting treated like this? That's the American mindset. Why? We got rights. You know what? You, you came to Jesus, you gave up your rights. You said, Jesus, however you want to fill it in on my life, I trust you. I trust you. Two broken men chained to a wall didn't ask why, but said, here is what we know. Our God, our God is the living God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. Let all the earth know. And they began to sing this song. And the Lord looked down. And he's leaning in. And he's listening to the sound of these men worship in the face of their shackles. In the face of the darkness. In the face of all of that. One preacher said it this way. The Bible says heaven is his throne. And earth is his footstool. And when God heard Paul and God heard Silas, he heard his boys down there in the prison. He said, angels, I like that tune. And he began to tap his foot. And when heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool, when you tap your foot, the earth quakes under that. The earth quakes under that foot tap. And there became a shaking in this prison. Amen. And the, the ground shook. And then the doors couldn't stay bolted any longer. And the doors went off to the side. And then I don't know. This part doesn't make any sense to me. I get that the chains fell off the wall. But how did the shackles fall off their hands? Only God. Only God. Only God. You've got to sing in the face of the enemy. Let me tell you what happened at that level. God proved that he was stronger than the politics of Rome. God shook at the deepest level and said, you know what, Rome may be in charge at this level, but I'm in charge at this level. And, and he shook the ground and he broke the doors off and positionally these men who were prisoners were now free. So God is stronger at the political level. He's stronger at the positional level, but he's also stronger at the personal level. He's stronger than your pride. 
He's stronger than any, any decision that you might have got your way into. And all of a sudden, the only prayer you had was, help! That was the only prayer you had. But that was the only prayer you needed. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the beatings, in the midst of the chains, in the midst of the opinions, in the midst of everything that you're facing, God prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And what can you do but worship? Come on, let's just take a minute right now. Jesus, we exalt you. You are worthy, God. You are worthy, God. Lord, what, we, what could we do but bring you our brokenness? What could we do but bring you, Lord, our, our messed up lives? What could we do but bring you our addictions and our depressions and our discouragements and our backwardness, God? What could we do but bring you, Lord God, our chains, God? Hallelujah. You're our chain breaker. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Singing in the face of the enemy brings breakthrough. Singing in the face of your brokenness brings breakthrough. Worshiping the Lord in the midst of your pain brings breakthrough. It's, it's in those moments that you remember that you are a citizen of heaven and that earth is not your home. This is, this is only a place you're passing through. This is not your home. Heaven is your home. And when you can catch a glimpse of Jesus, who have I in heaven but you, Lord? Who have I in heaven but you? You are my strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to him, and they are safe. Hallelujah. God, we worship you this morning. God, we worship you this morning. You're so good. You're so good. You are better to us than we could ever deserve. You are better to us than we could ever define. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Recognizing that the miracle is in your mouth. You lift up the song of the Lord regardless of how you feel. Regardless of how you feel. You know, this morning, Heather, my 26-year-old daughter on the platform, baby on the way, but you know, before Heather was ever a baby, she was a miracle. Because Holly and I had our plans. Oh, we're going to start a family at such and such a time. But that wasn't the plan. And we found ourselves in this scenario where we didn't know quite what was wrong, but we knew that things weren't happening the way they were supposed to. And it was really devastating in that season because if you know my wife, then you also know my mother-in-law, who is kind of like the mother of all mothers. And that nurturing side of her, we just, we were faced for a time where we were thinking, I don't know, maybe we're not going to have a family. I don't know, maybe, well, I don't know why, I don't know. And, and, I, and I shared with the staff at that time, and Tom Davis was our worship leader at the time, and he gave me a cassette tape. Anybody remember cassette tapes? Oh, I'm glad you can still raise your arm. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so you remember a cassette tape, and, uh, and, and so it was a, a tape called Instructed in the Song of the Lord by Jack Hayford. And it, it was uh, based on Isaiah 54, and the, the gist of it, after you uh, listened to Pastor Jack contextualize for about 45 minutes, he finally got to the point, and when he got to the point, it was like a zinger, and, uh, and he said, fill your house with praise. 
Do what Isaiah 54 says and expand the territory of your, of your tent. Stretch out those cords. But the, the opening line is, sing, O barren. Sing, O barren. And so Holly and I just, we just began to walk through the house and praise God. Can I just tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't glamorous. It felt very ordinary. A lot of times it felt like the words got about six inches past my mouth. But I would just walk through the house and say, hallelujah, Lord. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you today that as I stand in this nursery that's empty, I'm not going to look at the emptiness. I'm going to look at the potential. I'm going to look at the promise of God. I'm, I'm going to fill this room with the sound of praise even before the baby comes. I'm going to fill this room with the potential and the promise of the words. Lord, your word is true. I believe your word is true. I began to praise God, and we just walked through the house and, you know, made a practice of it. wasn't religious about it, but when, you know, just about every day, every other day, it would cross my mind. I'd get up, and I'd say, you know, we'd be talking about a baby. Okay, let's praise. Let's pray. I know we did more than praise. Okay, I don't want you to think this is really a miracle in that regard. (laughs) Every part, every every miracle is a two-part harmony between God and man. Every miracle, God does his part, but he's not going to do it all. You've got to do your part. And you've got a miracle waiting for you if you will just open your mouth and worship God. If you, you say, well, I'm barren and, I'm, and I'm, I'm stuck in this dead-end job and this isn't working, you know what? Stop complaining and start praising. Stop complaining. Start worshiping. Change your tactic. You know, the wind is blowing one way. Change that sail. Redirect it. Move the other direction. And so I want to challenge you. You've got to be a worshiper. Why? Because worship aligns things. Worship releases things. Worship is death dealing to the enemy's tactics. He wants to do something in your life, and he will do it unless you set him back on his haunches. He will do it unless you push him back into his place. And so you begin to praise God. And you know what? Just in a short amount of time, three different women in this house came to my wife and said, I had a dream and you're pregnant. Three different women. None of them had talked to one another. One of them went so far as to bring her a rose and say, this rose is for you because you're a mother. This is on Mother's Day. Let me tell you, unless Jesus wakes you up in the morning and tells you to do this, don't ever do this. I mean, I'm just telling you, you know, that it was bold and it was out there. And if we hadn't been mature and if other things had gone other ways, it would have been, it, it, it could have really been difficult, you know. But she was right on. She had a word from the Lord. She handed her a rose on, on Mother's Day the year before. She said, next year you're going to be a mother. And Heather was born. Isn't that amazing? That's God. You know, God wants you and I to prioritize worship because it positions us the way he wants us to be so that things can begin to work in our behalf. And some of you are sitting here today and you say, well, Pastor Ken, I'm, I'm, not, as, I'm, I'm not you, I'm not a preacher, I, I'm not a singer, I hear people sing and, and I just want to stop and listen to them because I don't like the sound of my own voice. None of those things matter at all. That's like saying that, you know, think about it. That's like saying that because I can't be like Ola, I shouldn't be anybody at all. But I want to be like Ola when I grow up. I want to be a better, I want to be just like Ola. Well, who's going to be Ken? 
God doesn't look at you. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so he's looking for your willingness, not your voice. He's looking for your desire to please him. He's looking for you to align yourself under what his word says. Jesus is alive and he's Lord and he's worthy of worship. Let me tell you where I learned to worship. I learned to worship in kids' church. When we didn't have any music. Didn't have any music. We got in there, there was about 60 kids, it was 1990. We got in there, there was about 60 kids in the 5 to 12 year old group. And, and if you know anything about kids, and I know you do, um, that if you get 60 kids in one room together at the same time, if you don't put on a program, they will put on a program for you. <laughs> And at first it was just Holly and I and maybe a couple of workers. And, and we got in there with our 10 stringed instruments. And Holly was way more comfortable than me. I was not, this was not my jam. I didn't come into, I like kids. No, we're only doing kids because I'm obedient to my wife right now. <laughs> True story. This was God's man of faith and power. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. I didn't know what we were supposed to do, but she, she had a clue about it. And so we went over there. And so we get in there and we start clapping. And we start singing, and when you got kids, you jump, and you dance, and you just, you know, you don't care about acting a fool. I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? I'll be a fool for him. And so I'd get up there, and I'd clap, and I'd sing, and man, God would move. Here, you want, you want to know why, why that worked for me? Let me tell you why. Because I had to learn to become like a child. If you want to learn to worship, you got to learn to become like a child. You got to be not childish, but childlike. You have to be simply trusting, simply saying, God, I don't know. It doesn't sound good. When was the last time you did something for the first time? The older we get, the fewer times that we do things for the first time. The older, when, when we're younger, we do brand new things every day. It's one of the beautiful things about watching my, my granddaughter, Nora, because every day is a new word, every day is a new expression, every day is a, you know, there's always something. Sometimes, sometimes those things are good, sometimes they're not so good. When they start asserting their will, you know, she, for, for a few months, she was like, do everything Pop Pop says. Now she looks at me. And makes up her mind. Right? And so, but you and I, when was the last time you did something new? See, here's the reality. A lot of people get born again later in life and didn't learn to worship when they were younger. And, and so as a result, they're like, no, I'm afraid. I, just, I don't sound good. And, and we have all of these. We don't want to look uncool. How many of you? Like, uncool is not cool. How many of you remember when you were cool? Go ahead. I remember when I was cool. I remember. I, some, some of y'all didn't get the memo. You're not cool anymore. That's okay. We love you. Jesus thinks you're cool. Even if the world doesn't think you're cool. It, here's the reality. We, we're embarrassed. Our pride. We, we've got this thing about us. We're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to worship. Be childlike. Be childlike. Would you dance for Jesus in the privacy of your own bedroom? Do it. I dare you. Would you, would, would, would you just lift a song as you walk through your house and nobody else around? Would you do it? Don't care what you sound like. Jesus, I'm doing this for you because what you did for me means so much. 
I want you to know how much it means. And, and at first, can I tell you at first, you got to use the words that somebody else wrote, but eventually you'll have your own words. Eventually those words will come right from your spirit, right out your mouth, and you'll begin to thank God for, God, I just thank you. I thank you for this. I thank you for that. You know, I just, I thank you for how you've done this and how you worked that situation out. And as you worship, let me tell you, the enemy's stronghold in your life gets pushed back. The first thing, though, that's got to go is that pride. The cool thing about kids, they don't have a whole lot of pride. They're all artists, right? When, when, you're, when you're kindergarten, what do you want to be? When you're, I'm going to be an artist. Look at my art. And you're like, what? <laughs> you might want to be an engineer. But when we're young, right, we, and so your worship, God looks at your worship with the greatest amount of admiration as if it was your grandchild's kindergarten artwork that ended up on the refrigerator for the whole world to see. And that becomes a thing that when, when uh, visitors are open, hey, did you see little Susie? Did you see little John? They drew this. And like, what? What is that? But Pop-Pop's real happy about it. Your heavenly father wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you exalt him. And, you know, don't consult the devil because he won't want you to sing. Lastly, and then we're going to close. Song of the Lord shakes the powers of darkness and releases, in this, in this text, releases a family, a city, a continent, and the entire hemisphere. Your song releases more than you can see, more than you can know. And your commitment to lift worship unmasks the attacks of the enemy and releases God's power, bringing breakthrough into the earth. You know, in 2003, um, we had uh, taken a team to uh, Uganda, and we were at one part of Uganda, and then we traveled down to another part to meet this young pastor, and I didn't know that God was going to have our paths cross and that we were going to have like this lifelong connection. So 2003 is when I met Eldad, and Eldad lived in the darkest place in Uganda. Eldad lived in the community where HIV came from the chimp population into the human population. And, uh, and so, you know, the CDC had traced it all down. Uh, Rock Eye was the district he was in. Chimp hunters uh, ate the chimp meat. They ingested the virus. Um, most of the chimp hunters died. It was widows and orphans. The demographic was just totally decimated. The, the, the age of expectancy, life expectancy was 38 that year. 38. So I'm looking around and I'm seeing all of these people at church. Wasn't a big church, maybe about 30 people at church. And Eldad's a young preacher. And I'm saying, I'm, some of these people are nearing their age of life expectancy. And the Holy Spirit spoke as we were praying. He said, you've got to bring the kingdom today because these people don't have tomorrow. When you, when you find yourself in a place of urgency, you pray differently, don't you? When you find yourself where, where, where it's life and limb, where mama's, where you find yourself where your kids are in danger, you know, you find your, you know what, boldness comes on you, right? You're allowed, we're going to do, we're going to do business right now, you know? And, and so we began to walk and pray. We walked and prayed throughout Rockeye. And, uh, and we, we uh, on our way out on the bus, I mean, this, just ha this happened. Well, on our way out on the bus, we stopped by an AIDS clinic. And uh, the driver said, you got 10 minutes because we've got we to make it to the airport. You know, we walked in, we shared, uh, we shared the gospel in 10 minutes and the entire waiting room came to Christ. 
probably 25, 30 people. The entire way, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, you know, and, and, we, and we get back on the bus and we go. Eldad told me that like a little over, like a week and a half later, he said nine witch doctors showed up at the church. Now the church is like poles and metal roof, right? Dirt floor. That's all it is. And, uh, and he said, I was down there praying and he said nine witch doctors showed up and said, what do we need to do to know Jesus? He didn't go preach to them. Nine witch doctors showed up. What can we do to, to know Jesus? He said, go get all of your witch doctor stuff, all your paraphernalia, all your incantations, all your books, everything, and bring it back to the church. And they did a bonfire right at the altar. And they burnt everything. And then he said, now, he said, get down on your knees and repent of your, of your witchcraft. You know, in, in Uganda, um, uh, you know, a witch doctor is like a Walgreens. If you had a sniffle, you'd go see the witch doctor. If you had anything going on in your physical body, anything that wasn't going on in life, that's where you went. You just went there. They don't think about it in terms of, they know spiritual stuff is happening, but they don't know that, that they're actually getting connected to this stuff. And so these witch doctors all repent. They all get saved. They all join this church. God began to do things. Why? Because we dealt with a stronghold in worship. Where do you need a breakthrough in your life today? Can we stand? Where do you need a breakthrough? Where do you need a breakthrough? Where have you just been putting up with stuff, putting up with it, putting up with it, putting up with it, and you got some level of frustration, but no level of breakthrough? Where is it? Just begin to worship. Where have you been barren in your life? Say, well, Pastor Ken, if you see my bank account, you can I tell you, take your empty wallet. I'm serious. Open that empty wallet and say, Hallelujah. Jesus, you are Lord of my empty wallet. And you fill that empty space with worship. You fill that empty space with praise. You begin to exalt the Lord. You start with those spoken words and you watch God begin to do a work. You say, what about the uh, kids that I'm, you know, my kids that, you know, they, they, you know, God has no grandkids. He only has children. So your kids can't get into the kingdom on your faith unless you pray them in. But they're going to have to express their own faith in Jesus, right? And, and they're going to have to deal with a sin nature like you had to deal with a sin nature. And don't expect just because they grew up knowing Jesus with their cornflakes and having prayer around the table that they're just, that's an automatic in. Because their will is going to be involved in this process. But here's what you can do. They didn't know that they were born into a house that worshiped. And you begin to worship the Lord, and God begins to work in their hearts. Can we just right now, all over this place, Lord, I, I bring worship. I bring worship, Lord, into my barrenness, into my brokenness. I bring worship into the, the bitter circumstances that I've experienced. Come on, church, lift your voice right now. Jesus, I magnify you, God. Lord, I declare that you're Lord. I declare that you're God. I declare that you're King. I declare, Lord God, that you are that way maker. You are the one, Lord God, that causes all things to work together for good. I declare, Lord, your kingship and your lordship over my life. Come on, church, lift your voice today. Lift your voice. Bring worship into your circumstance. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. I worship you. Come on, out of that empty tomb, Jesus brought your solution. Out of that empty tomb, Jesus took everything that 
bound you, everything that was against you. Everyone's chains fell off. Every prison door opened. Come on, cause an earthquake to happen in your house. Become a worshiper. God, we thank you that there's a miracle in our mouth today. We thank you, God, that as we lift up the name of Jesus, that the powers of darkness are pushed back. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you have our way out in front of us, oh God. We believe you, Lord God, that today, Lord God, is a new day. Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on, I'm going to ask you, if you need a breakthrough, just step forward. Come down to the altar today and say, you know what? I'm going for my breakthrough. Come on. Come on. You may need a breakthrough in your home. You need a breakthrough in your finances. Come on, let's be worshipers. This is a worshiper's altar right here. A worshiper's altar right here.